to reach out to Joe, um, not because we had any real uh, expectations or intentions of, of really doing anything with Ong's hat, but just more talking to him sort of artist to artist and getting a sense of, um, you know, what what journey he went on. What, what we did with um, the podcast project that we did was like it was a, a blend between fact and fiction. And it um, uh, I guess some people found it intriguing. Others uh, were quite upset. So it was a rather polarizing response. And John and I went through a whole kind of uh, uh, long uh, it took us a while to sort of process uh, that reaction and and um, <laughs> figure out whether or not what we what we did uh, whether or not we had achieved something that was successful or not and so we just wanted to talk to Joe and sort of his thoughts on um, I, you know about what went Ong's had and and and, uh, and and it was just a nice productive um, conversation and and we kind of felt like we were kindred spirits a little bit and and uh, so much that that Joe called us about like a month later and then you know said that he was working on a working on a, a video game and and was really hoping to maybe make some that um had a um had a podcast component to it um to kind of accompany accompany the narrative of of what he was doing so um we um uh you know we just which, sort which of, is which is liminal which i'm assuming you're aware of right i i know very little of what he was trying to to do with this ar thing it was some kind of ar app or something yeah correct yeah, yeah. i actually don't i know very little about what he was trying to do got it yeah. Um, I mean, admittedly, we know not that much either. I mean, we, we, we just kind of shared uh, tidbits here and there with us. Um, but um, he was he was more than um, willing to talk about, you know, the history of Ong's had and, and his experience. And um, so what we're trying to do now at this point is um, we, we met with Joe in Los Angeles for a weekend and recorded several hours um, of a conversation we had with them, which is really productive. And then he gave us some names of other folks that we could talk to. And at this point, we're just trying to kind of gather as much information, get as many point of views um, as possible, and then compile this um, into uh, eventually into a podcast experience. But how and where we, we take this thing, we're not entirely sure. But now I guess we're sort of in like the re research stage of things, and then we'll sort of figure out what the what the story is and what the experience will look like. But the, the intention is to do it as an audio experience. Um, okay. And um, so, so we appreciate you um, being willing to talk to us and um, yeah, uh, looking forward to kind of uh, hearing your experience with Joe and with, with Dong's hat and, and um, uh, yeah. And, and so uh, yeah, appreciate you, you uh, willing to give up some of your time and um, yeah, no, to speak to us. So it's such um, a weird, uh, weird part of my. Am I still here? I'm frozen. You, you are still here. I can hear you. Okay. Uh, it's such a weird part of my history. I didn't think I'd be talking about it a ton in the future. <laughs> we did hear your decoder ring episode that you guys did. Oh yeah, yeah. Um, which was uh, really well done. I mean, I thought it was really cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, they did a good job with that. Yeah. And I know Joe was hoping with this that I think he wants to kind of tell the complete story. So I, I think he felt as though um, maybe they tended towards the more salacious side of things. And um, uh, we're, we're sort of interested in, in going as comprehensively as possible into it. And then um, also, I, I, just in terms of how it connects to the app, he, he, he wants to seed in 
like a reference to a character that I guess will will come to play in his app. So that's essentially what we know about how how everything kind of fits together. Okay. <laughs> An Emery yeah. Cranston type character. What what kind yeah, of? Yeah, yeah, exactly. A uh, guy guy named Cameron who um, essentially purports that uh, Joe stole his his story of Ong's had him and repurposed it uh, for, for his own means. Right. Yeah. Perfect. So, so there is no Cameron character that you, you're familiar with. You've never, just to get that out of the way up front, I don't know, is this a reference to someone uh, real that you might be aware of? No, I've never, never heard of a Cameron. And then, uh, yeah, Joe, Joe says that there's uh, I guess a website that um, we're going to have to visit at some point. So, so, uh, fuck, my, something going on with my connection, sorry. It's okay, we're only, you know, um, we're, we only care about the audio, and your audio is clean, so that's totally fine. Um, yeah, so I guess one question I have is, like, I mean, as, as with the topic itself of Ong's Hat, what, what angle are you guys taking with this? Are you, um, are you looking for the the dividing line between the reality of it and the fiction of it or are you like how are you trying to present it to people well i guess i guess what i would say is like uh um we're really sensitive to not um trying to destroy any sort of magic so i i guess i guess um in terms of shaping it like we're not necessarily looking for someone to spell out like, oh yeah, this was fake and this wasn't, but we are interested in the mythology that it purports to be based on and then sort of how the experience expanded from there once more people started um, becoming aware of it and visiting the forums. And then also, I think we're, we're really interested in the legacy of it as you know, essentially the, you know, proto ARG. Um, mm -hmm. uh, so, so how it maybe has come to be sort of influential. Uh, and then, you know, Joe, like we, we learned about Joe's sort of background and interest in ritual magic and, um, you know, Robert Anton Wilson and the, and the stuff that he used to do at Esalen. And so I don't know how familiar you are with that, with that sort of thing, but, um, that's yeah. also pretty interesting to us as well. So, yeah, I mean, I, I guess, uh, like, you know, like Todd and I, I mean, to be totally candid, like Todd and I don't know how much of the mythology is, is real or how much Joe has fabricated. And, uh, you know, we, don't, we, like, we know how he allegedly was introduced to it. Um, through kind of like the mail art and zine culture and receiving that brochure. And like, you know, I guess if this exemplifies where we're coming from, like I'm not really interested in trying to dispel whether or not Joe created that or that is in fact what really happened. I, I am happy to take his story, um, you know, as, as he has told it to us. So does that maybe answer does that answer the question of kind of where we're coming from <laughs> it sounds about perfectly right okay cool cool somewhere in the middle <laughs> so yeah exactly yeah so um, an, another thing i think maybe is important to say too um 
you know, as, as we said, we don't quite know how, like, how we're going to tell this story. Um, but there, there may be, um, like our last podcast, since we did, we did kind of blend fact and fiction. So, um, in that case, we kind of made up some characters that, that added to the, to the mystery and to the, to, to the mythology, um, it's something that we're thinking is, you know, a possibility what we're going to be doing with this as well. But we'll also say that um, we made it a point, uh, a very strong point in, in, in our last podcast, and we'll do the same with this, to not misrepresent um, what you say or mangle or, you know, treat treat sort of what you say as, as journalism. And, um, you know, uh, there's just maybe other components in the full experience that we do potentially introduce things that, that are fiction and whether or not we kind of spell those out completely or, or sort of have some fun with it um, remains, remains to be seen, but just to kind of give you a heads up. um, Like, like an example, an example of that would be that we're, we know that there, that Joe did an interview with, you know, the alleged survivors of the, of the community um, that, that you can find on archive.org and like, you know, he wants us to incorporate that and we're not necessarily going to incorporate that and, and say explicitly, hey, guys, these are actors. This is completely made up. This was, you know, so, I mean, we're we're totally down to have fun with the legend as well. Um, if yeah. that, yeah, if that makes sense. Sure. I mean, most of the history I have with, with Joseph has kind of been about picking apart uh, you know what is true and what isn't. Um, I mean, he's he's told me things in you know in in a candid way, but at the same time, there was like a long stretch of history there where he was kind of playing with what is and isn't true. So, um, and that was a lot. It was a long time ago. It was early '90s. But um, I've always Joseph is an interesting character. He he's a guy that every five years he changes who he is and what he is and what he's doing and what his focus is in life. Like he just kind of does a reset every five years and will completely fall off the map and um, become something else. Right. Um, So just as a person, he's kind of slippery in in terms of, uh, you know, his personal narrative, (laughs) you know? So, uh, but the, the Ong's hat story um, and the Inky Nebula was, was such a fascinating one back then that, it was impossible not to look into it and dig around and try to figure out where the fuck this came from. So I, that like, to me, that's a really interesting place to maybe begin if you're, if you're open to it, because, you know, like with Polybius, um, I, I just think that Todd and my interest, not only in storytelling and a narrative, but also in kind of where we are culturally at this moment, I, I think, you know, the idea of uh, the erosion of a consensus reality, the idea that we're, we're kind of like fragmenting as a society into multiple realities. And, yeah. you know, and then, I mean, you can really, depending on your inclinations, whether you're conspiracy minded or not, you can really go down a rabbit hole in terms of like how much is reality manipulated and, and what even yeah. is really reality. Um, yeah. and, and so these are things that are just fascinating topics to us in general. And may, I, I don't know if you want to kind of maybe begin by talking about sort of your interest in in that aspect of 
you know, of, of life and of, of narrative or of art and, and kind of how that then led to you um, and your, your interest or um, fascination with, with Ong's hat. Mm-hmm. But Plebeus, by the way, was a really fun uh, journey. I, I really enjoyed the whole. Oh, thank you. A whole web of things that were circling around that. And it was, that's the, that's like pure entertainment to me. Like, yeah. Um, I, I, maybe it's a, a certain kind of taste of like internet weird, you know, spelunking into this weird counterculture playing with, uh, you know, what makes a thing real and not real. And um, just, add, you know, adding just enough truth to, to make a thing feel real and, uh, anyways, I had I had a ton of fun with with that. Oh, so, thank you. <laughs> um, uh, but partially because earlier, like in the late '80s, my my dad used to collect Omni magazine, um, and I would read through those things all the time. And one of the things that was in one of the one of the articles was talking about, you know, the uh, it was an FBI or uh, sorry, a CIA program um, dealing with you know, um, seeding video games to a younger generation and basically training them for warfare was the underpinnings of the article. Um, so that's true. Like that shit actually did happen to some degree. And so that anyways, that's obviously you guys well are well aware that that's why that story resonated. Right. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. The fact that there's like just, a, a you know, enough of a smattering of grain of truth or something where, you, you know, it, it's not like you believe it necessarily outright, but it's enough to make you stop and, and kind of wonder. Um, and then like, like, yeah, for Todd and I, as we were investigating, it's like when you learned about FBI sting operations and, you know, the arcades of the Pacific Northwest and, mm-hmm. um, you know, there, there's just enough truth in there that it does become really enticing. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, uh, but anyway, yeah. your your interest in in kind of all of this, so where 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 you feel like that stems from, and and um, your your thoughts on the nature of the the fungible nature of of reality. What so what the whether Ong's hat and Incunebula are or what components of it are are true and aren't true, um, in some ways doesn't matter because what I got out of it um, in the end was that reality is very malleable. Um, and in a way that I didn't expect it to be, um, consensus reality is malleable. It can be played with. You can change, um, pretty significant things in your believed in reality based on a a group of people believing a certain thing or, um, propagating a certain truth. Um, and so reality is far less stable than I believed it to be. Um, prior to that, so th- uh, when the, so what, that's what I find most fascinating is that through through storytelling you can actually alter perceived reality in some pretty important ways, um, and so you know growing up and I, I I think it was in college around the time that whole thing happened, um, and I was really into it, and uh, but coming to adulthood, what's been interesting about it is that it's it's put certain things under a new magnifying lens. Um, The Mandela effect is a great one Mm -hmm. Um, because I look at that whole conspiracy theory in a very different way than, than probably a lot of people do. 
uh, in that I know factually that reality is uh, tweakable. Um, so people having a memory of something being a certain way and then suddenly, well, guess what? It never was that way makes total sense to me because there was some kind of consensus shift that made it not that way. It all th This whole thing with Ong's hat also made me a believer in uh, the many worlds theory and multiple realities and um, our ability to kind of is sub we're, you know, we're essentially subconsciously kind of drifting between different versions of our core reality. Um, you know, it splinters and it, it branches and, um, and, and that stuff obviously can't be proven right now. Um, so the only way you can kind of prove it to yourself is by looking for markers. Um, and the Mandela effect is actually kind of an incredible marker system. And it's only because of like how many people are interested in that topic. And we have the modern day internet. Sorry, am I breaking up? The quality went down. Uh, it's okay. Okay, hang on. Uh, let's see. Shit. I'm going to call you right back. Sometimes I have to restart. Okay. Oh, okay. John, do you think it would make a difference if you, if you also put yourself on... Um, I'm just wondering if, like, all three of us... Is it straining the... It shouldn't... I have a really strong signal here, so okay. it should... Right. Yeah, it shouldn't be my problem. We don't see you, but we can hear you, I think. Okay. Sorry, I'm just trying to make sure my video feed is off. So is that, that, should I turn my video feed off, too? Todd was just asking. Yeah, maybe. It might help. Okay. How do I do this? What do I do? We just go to... I mean, we can do it like this until it drops out again, but... Turn video <coughs> off. Okay, there we go. All right, so we're all just audio only. Cool. I'm I'm sorry that I cut it off there. Um, no, no, that's okay. I was rambling about the Mandela effect. Uh, yeah, and the fact the the fact that you you completely believe that it's possible that people can have uh, on a on a broad scale false uh, essentially a false memory. Yes, um, to me that is a marker of um, a shift into a, a parallel universe. <laughs> as stupid as that sounds. Uh, I was what I was going to say is that sounds absolutely ridiculous until you have those you have a cascade of enough of those experiences to go okay that's the, it it has to be something like that you know like it's that that's it, it's somewhere around that like <laughs> that's the thing that is actually the cause of of these shifting of states and and so I mean like do you have any specific stories or events that you can relay um, regarding that because uh, or, or was it more of just kind of like the cumulative effect of witnessing everything that transpired? I, I guess because this is like a really great macro thing to, mm -hmm. you know, to have, but it would be really wonderful if, if there's any specific incidents that you can recall that sort of contributed to the development of that um, perspective. Yeah, I think I was asked something similar in, in that prior podcast, that one of the difficulties is that um, during during the period where Onxat was kind of something I was I was watching, there was a community forum that, you know, had developed 
There's a few thousand users using it at the time. Unfortunately, when I went back to kind of dig through those archives in the Wayback Machine, it had been completely lost. And I was young and stupid and didn't back anything up. Um, but uh, because I was looking for, you know, well, what were the what were all of the synchronicities that were occurring around the time that this story was being told? Um, and a lot of them were kind of silly. Like they were just, it was little things. Like um, uh, I, basically the, the connection to kind of mundane thoughts were being permeated into everyday reality. So it was, it was like you're, you, you were tapped into a specific state of consciousness where your mundane everyday thoughts started to um show up in way in an unexpected way so uh, let me try to think of an example i i think um back back then i'm I'm sorry i'm i'm floundering a bit because it was a long time ago and there was lots of weird little things but um uh talking about a book or a specific topic um and then seeing that book on a billboard five minutes later like it was a cascade of those types of things, which sounds stupid, um, but it, it happened with such frequency and regularity that it was um, unignorable. And and it's one of the common threads for anybody that um, really kind of dives deep into the Ong's Hat Inky Nebula narrative. When you get really deep into the research of it, you start experiencing uh, pretty profound synchronicity states. So, uh, and it's always mundane meaningless things that sound stupid when when told to somebody else until they start doing the work themselves um i hope that during the course of you you guys looking into this that that's your experience as well that was the experience of um the the podcast that we we're recently on um uh, on sorry. yeah exactly um when they 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 told me some they were they were surprised to hear me say that because during the course of their research they started experiencing these odd synchronicities like uh they you know um they'd be thinking about or talking about a specific thing and then a short while later either in the same day or the day after something would be would present itself in their life that was exactly the same topic right um so a weird causality thing um yeah i'm experiencing a, i've had like a couple of those experiences so far mm. yeah it seems to get worse. <laughs> um, the deeper you so go. Talking it, so talking about it is weird because it sounds pretty Looney Tunes. Um, but it's just kind of what happens when you start digging into this material. And whether or not Joseph, you know, was co-creating and making all this shit up, the end result of this thing, this transmedia thing, is that it we, we got into this, uh, I think it's been referenced as a co creative state um, where the participants in researching this material were, were were basically harnessing something very unusual to make certain things become real and, and actualized. Um, and a lot of it was down to kind of interpersonal weirdness um, and the interactions people would have with each other and um, God, so my great frustration, to be quite honest, is just that I don't have access to the early archives of um, that web forum because that community was pretty big for, for its time and for what it was. 
Um, and there was a lot of data there, a lot of people talking about the, the types of experiences that were weird to them, right? Mm -hmm. So uh, I'm sorry, I'm not giving great examples. No, it's uh, okay. The, so it, anyways, when the Mandela effect happened, there were, there were kind of some more like very obvious markers for me. Um, and, and for me, my perception of it was around 2006. Uh, the effect was kind of becoming known and people were starting to talk about it. Um, and, and a lot of that community and the way that that was rolling out kind of resonated and it felt very much like an Ong's hat or a poly Polybius, like it, it had, had that same weird feeling. Um, <clears throat> so that's why I was attracted to it. What was interesting is the things that I did see happening and they were far more profound than what had happened prior. Um, for example, and I'm, I'm old, so I remember these things. Uh, you know, I watched uh, James Bond Moonraker um, and, you know, there's the scene with the famous scene where Jaws, he's got this, the big kind of metal teeth and, you know, he smiles at one point to this blonde, attractive girl with pigtails. And the, the gag of that entire scene was that he smiled at her with his giant metal chomping teeth. She smiles back at him and she's got braces and they fall in love. Like that is their connection. The, the whole scene is predicated around this event happening. But guess what? That never happened. Um, she doesn't have braces. She never did. There's no copy of the movie that ever shows that she had braces during this pivotal moment in the movie. Yet, you know, thousands of people remember this happening this way. Um, and it, and the frust I guess the frustrating thing with the Mandela effect, which is kind of resonates with the, the whole Aunt's hat thing, is that it's always mundane, weird shit. Like, it's it's never like this profound thing where you know a person in your life was there and then the next day they weren't there it's it's more um trivial pop culture stuff that's just kind of phasing in and out of being or changing in a significant way or um another big one for me was uh uh you know ed mcmahon used to represent publishers clearinghouse and would take giant checks to the door and it turns out that never actually happened he didn't represent them he never did that um kind of mind-blowing stuff to somebody who has a pretty solid recollection of their childhood history, you know? Um, I remember that as well. That's yeah. really weird. Didn't happen. Um, I've, I've told that one to my parents, actually, and they were quite upset by it. They're like, no, that couldn't be. Um, so what it actually was, was Ed McMahon represented a different publishing company for a very short period of time, but he never took giant checks to the door, or there was never giveaways or anything like that. Uh, and what makes it weirder is that if you go back and watch uh, Johnny Carson actually appeared on David Letterman um, a long time ago. And he, he there's this gag. Johnny Carson comes out onto the Letterman show and he's carrying this one million dollar check for the publisher's clearinghouse. And he was basically riffing on Ed McMahon doing that. So there's these weird that they call it residue in the in the um, Mandela effect community. There's this weird residue that shows a thing the way, or, or a recollection of a thing being a certain way. It's uh, like a cultural reinforcement of something that yes. didn't happen. Yeah, exactly. Right. Sorry, I'm going off on a big tangent there, but uh, the reason I'm I'm telling these weird incidentals is because that was that was supporting. It, the the reason it didn't wig me out is because my time spent with Onsad and Kinebula had shown me that. Uh, you know, if a, if a large enough group kind of have a consensus reality, weird shifts can happen to specific data points or information. Yeah. 
So why don't you, can you tell us a little bit about, you said you first discovered it when, I guess the forums, when you were in college, can you give us a little bit of context as to, you know, where you were, where you were geographically, um, how you first stumbled across it, kind of like what, what, you know, if, if you can set the scene for us at all, that would be, that would be great. Yeah, I was an art student in college. Um, it was late 80s, early 90s. Um, and I was, uh, you know, I was fascinated. So the internet was just kind of budding and starting um, its most interesting phase to me because it was highly experimental in a lot of ways. Um, and some of the websites at that time were just super fucked up and weird. <laughs> and so I, I would just kind of spend nights, you know, trawling the net looking for the weirdest sites I could. And I ended up stumbling upon uh, this very strange, uh, like kind of like an art house weird website that didn't make any sense. And it was, you, you were presented with these kind of fractal images and like a sonnet or a poem. And, and you would have to kind of um, pixel hunt and click around the screen. And that would take you into a, another page that had a different kind of treatment and weird artistic expression. And you would keep clicking. And as you did, it sort of talking about stranger and stranger things and talking about, you know, basically the malleability of reality and, and all these unusual things. And then at some point it started talking about the, the Moorish science ashram, um, which I didn't have no idea what that meant at that time, but it was just this weird, you know, cult, cult like thing. Um, and eventually this, this, this site led to after, you know, a couple days of digging through the different um, paths that you could take, uh, it eventually led to um, a site talking about the Inca Nebula. Uh, di oh, Dioxy, oh God, I, I will have to find the name. It's a very unusual name. I think the it either still exists or a version of it exists. Um, it's a website that kind of curates all these weird um, uh, sort of subculture conspiracies and, and just very unusual shit. Um, it led me to that site that had a, uh, I think it, what I first saw was kind of like the catalog for the Inca Nebula, the, the, the book catalog that Joseph probably talked to you guys about. Um, and that got me interested in the topic. Then I found out about the, you know, the, the Princeton ex experiments and, you know, the, the travel cults and, you know, the, the Ong's hat kind of ashram where they were doing this weird, um, experimentation and, at that point, there were there was a, there were so many different you know connection points that I was interested in, and and that I just I had to talk about it. I was running a conspiracy website at the time called Dark Planet, um, and I, I was just doing it for fun, and it was mostly about UFOs because I had an interest there, um, and started talking about Ong's Hat. I had a very small forum at the time, you know, I had a few uh, you know a few hundred users, whatever started talking about Ong's hat and then this kind of collective conspiracy group started forming around it. And there was, you know, in the end there, I think there was maybe 10,000 users um, that were kind of fixated on that one topic. Um, and eventually Joseph uh, had reached out to me um, and my interactions with him early on were very, kind of classically conspiratorial like he whether he was playing a character or whatever <laughs> you know it was very much like yeah man 
you know, different, different, a different subset of dramas were occurring all the time. He was being followed or, you know, the government was involved or they were interested in things that he was doing. Um, and the, the interesting thing is that I was being contacted by um, a few different players within that story. So how many people were involved, I don't actually ultimately know. But there were other people helping him spin this narrative, whether real or not. Um, so I was getting little little tastes. But it was clear that they were kind of driving a certain type of narrative and agenda. Um, and I think that became more and more clear to the community as well. So people tried to pick apart the story. Um, and in picking apart the story, they started also to find the nuggets of uh, truth in there, too. Like, like there was some, you know, there was some genuinely strange research and um, uh, uh, the egg project. Uh, I think they called it the egg project. There was a uh, there was a Princeton study done about um, they had these um, random number number generation machines that were sitting in different universities around the world. Um, and they would spit out just kind of averages of numbers. But every time there was a major world event, they would shit out um, uh, numbers that were not, uh, 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 what's the, sorry, my brain's not <laughs> firing right now. They would shit out numbers that were um, un unattainable by pure chance alone. So a major event happens in the world, 9-11, whatever. They start generating um numbers that uh, relate to each other, they, they start generating more ones than zeros, right, during that event. Um, it, it was that type of uh, stuff that was kind of intertwined in in the storytelling of Aung San and Kinebula. Um, and just the whole, like, this... What was interesting was they tapped into a lot of kind of cutting-edge um, quantum science and theory. You know, the many worlds theory was barely known at that time but that that's the stuff they were talking about you know um the different players within this um so um sorry man i'm rambling all over because it's it's like no it's all good it's it, i'm sure you're just taking a long stroll down memory lane right <laughs> <laughs> please stop me and just ask no so so um so as you start to unravel um so i guess i guess First of all, your interest was you were you were running Dark Planet. You were primarily interested in UFOs, but what you started to uncover through this website sort of dovetailed with some of those interests, and that and that is what spurred you on, or or motivated you to then kind of present this to the community that you had cultivated through your website. Is that is that right. accurate to say? Okay, that's one hundred percent accurate. Yeah, cool. And then. Um, would you say that the, you know, from, from going from a couple hundred users to 10,000 users, um, especially at that time, was, was quite significant? And would you say that, like, what was exciting about it was that, that, you know, this was something that was new, this was something that was fresh, this was something where people were, for the first time, maybe actually finding nuggets of truth in the narrative? Or, like, what do you think... Um, I, I guess, you know, generated that kind of um, broad interest and, and also over what time period are we talking about in terms of the growth of that forum? Mm -hmm. um, I think it was 90, I want to say 91 to about 94, something like that. Um, 
the it was kind of like a very early version of reddit i guess that was what made it interesting like it was a lot of activity on a very specific topic and the what what was really fascinating about it was people were trying to pick apart the story because it was interesting so you know there would be whole threads devoted to trying to find the actual location of ong's hat um, or picking apart satellite data to find uh, potential um, locations of the of the commune um, so that people could do expeditions there right it was that kind of stuff all the time um, that's what made it exciting was that people were um, invested in finding out what was and wasn't true uh, the um, the twins at Princeton who did the initial research um, they were doing uh, um, they were doing research into, you know, quantum mechanics and many worlds theory and all, all of this stuff who eventually were kicked out of Princeton and then started life on the commune um, where everything kind of cultivated that. So people were picking apart that, you know, OK, well, the, the Princeton twins, did they exist? Were they real? Is there a record? Um, can we show, you know, research papers, anything like that? Right. And people would get little nuggets of things and j just enough to like okay, well, maybe this is real, maybe it isn't. Um, and it was just, I think it was the first time on, on the internet that um, I can remember seeing the type of story that forced users to sleuth and engage and, and be a part of um, the story, like be a part of discovery, right? Um, yeah. And, and so then, you know... Um... I guess, how much did you do any, um, I mean, did you, did you, did you take your search offline into the, into the physical world at all? Or what was your search only confined to, um, just what you could learn through the forums or what you could find searching around online? Yeah. As with many people, it was mostly just online. And, um, the, I guess if there is a significant thing, it was just purely that I, I had, direct contact with Joseph and um, I was trying to suss out the reality of the story from him um, and trying to be, you know, pretty cautious about what he was telling me. And um, it was interesting. So the, the, I had written a thing and it's embarrassing to even look back at these things, but <laughs> cause it was so long ago and I was young and dumb, but um, I had written the thing about, you know, what really happened at Ong's hat. Um, but the thing that I still kind of stand by is that um, the way that this entire matrix of information was structured was it, it felt very much like an initiation program into a cult. Um, it, 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 it was set up in such a way that, uh, you know, stupid people would kind of fall off the wagon and they wouldn't pursue certain threads of information. But if you got past um, looking into a specific aspect of the story and you found, um, you know, a little fork in the road and you chose the right fork, uh, you would be fed more information. And that was either from Joseph or Emery Cranston or one of the surrounding characters in this whole narrative, right? <clears throat> and you would be led down another kind of breadcrumb trail. There was this filtration system set up um, to weed out certain people and certain personality types. Uh, where, where it differed from a cult um, in my mind was they were looking for pretty specific things. They were looking for um, 
people who are, you know, free thinkers, hyper intelligent, you know, sciences, mathematics, arts, um, didn't it didn't feel like a death cult in that way. They were looking for people who were um, looking for a way to, I guess, <laughs> so the reason it felt like a cult is that uh, they were looking for people who kind of were thinking beyond the system um, and, and weren't satisfied with how consensus reality was functioning. Uh, and that was another fascinating aspect because the impression that I got was by being led through this kind of gauntlet of ideas uh, in a very kind of structured way, what they were actually looking for was candidates to go to Java 2 or um, Earth 2 <laughs> because the story kind of culminates with the fact that you're essentially going into a, a travel egg, a, a means of travel to an alternate parallel Earth. And and this is kind of like a utopia. It's you know it's it's untouched, right? Um, and they're they're actually doing supply runs and taking taking things back and forth. Um, they they haven't completely lost connection with Earth Prime. Um, and so, so, like, who couldn't love that story? That's Stargate. That's you know <laughs> whatever. So uh, that that's kind of like the whole package in terms of like why people were interested in pursuing it because there were these breadcrumbs that would pull you into different aspects of it with, you know, this, this very strange kind of goal post at the end that you obviously know intellectually is a bunch of bullshit, but it's still fascinating to kind of run the gauntlet. Yeah. So, so how, Oh, go ahead. No, I'm just curious. I mean, uh, you said that you sort of knew intellectually. I mean, I guess, did you at the time? I mean, did, did you, um, I mean, just, I guess, similar to your interest in UFOs, I mean, was it, was it just something that you were sort of, I guess, in a way, just charmed by like the, the, what if, or, or, or is there the, the shred of hope that some of this is, uh, yeah, I mean, is knowable. Certainly the, you know, my personality type is, is, you know, I want life to be a bit magical and, interesting for sure so um you know what i've come to learn about ufo research and and some of the documentation that's been released actually there's a great website called um the black vault that all it does is collate all the freedom of, inf of information documents related to ufology and and the government studies of ufos across the world and there there's millions of documents there and basically whenever somebody says to me well how why do you believe that and i'm like just just go do some reading on this website. This is from the horse's mouth. Like this is, these are government documents talking about retrieval programs and X, Y, Z. Like it's all there if you just look into it, right? I wasn't getting that from Ong's hat, obviously, but, you know, a part of me was fascinated by the this whole notion. And it was just, it was the hook, right? They had the right hook. The hook was, um, you're going to, I'm going to tell you a story, okay? Uh, you're you're either going to dig into this more and find where the story kind of ends, um, and we're going to pull you along, give you these markers to hit, uh, or you're going to kind of be left to the side because we've already they they put put specific forks in the narrative to push certain people out early, right? Um, so I was just interested in pursuing it to the end to see what would happen, um, but I didn't. I don't think I made it to the end, quite frankly, and. What was another really interesting thing is that in, in the community of 
people that were circling around it at the time, people were telling me the craziest shit. <laughs> like, and some of these people were probably obviously mentally unhinged, right? But uh, talking about, uh, you know, men in black showing up at their door or talking about how, you know, Joseph was, a, you know, a... A adept interdimensional traveler and that he was evil and <laughs> there was some crazy shit uh you know one woman was saying she was she was having an affair with him and uh he uh was shutting her out because she wanted to go back to earth earth two and <laughs> and he didn't want her there and like a, a lot of like just the whole gambit of like crazy to like so i was getting hit with all kinds of information long story short um, and I had to take most of it with a gigantic grain of salt, right? But I appreciated the intelligence of the whoever was generating the core narrative because there was definitely a structure to that. Um, and the, the fun part of it was that, well, yeah, okay, if, let's say that this technology exists and I can, I can hop into a, a travel egg and I can look at some kind of guided fractals take a hit of ayahuasca or whatever drugs are giving me um, or go into this tantric mode and, and I can, I can ride the wave. I can ride this chaotic fractal to another earth. Um, like that's a, that's a great fucking story, man. And, but if I was going to, if that was real and I was going to do it, um, I wouldn't want every Tom, Dick and Harry to follow me down that path. If I was actually recruiting and I wanted to set up a colony off world, I probably would do it in some weird way like this, like set up kind of a personality profile, um, look for a specific type of thinker um, with a certain type of skill set even, and take them down a path, filter out everybody else, and then, you know, have a hookup and explain what was actually going on. So that, that's, that was the hook for me. Yeah. I, I have so many questions, but I, one, one that I want to, um, ask about was uh just to circle back a little bit so this idea that um you know that this is this goalpost but that you will reach by solving the the mystery um i guess in terms of the narrative right this had happened once before people had disappeared from that community and so is your impression or, or the user's impression that somehow Joe or these other people are related to that core group that disappeared or have come back and like now they're taking a second group with them? Is that kind of how the narrative felt as you were unraveling it? I think the I'm, I'm trying to remember it's a bit foggy but i think that joseph at the time was playing kind of the role of look guys i found this thing i found these uh you know this book catalog i've met these people um it feels like this is real like i think i think early on that was kind of the, the play but my memory's a bit scattered um but uh over time the way that the story kind of arced was that joseph was uh, interacting with Emery Cranston, who was also part of this whole thing. Uh, and basically, he was being recruited at a higher level to to be a part of the travel cult. Um, that was referred to as a travel cult at some point. Um, 
and there were more than one. I think at, at some point it was like, yeah, there's more than one kind of like group that is traveling between these parallel Earths. Um, and there were many different parallel Earths as well. So, um, But I, in terms of what Joseph's role was, initially he was kind of like, one of the one of the people looking into it investigating it and then was kind of being pulled into um the ac the actual machinations of it through the people involved got it there was another theory that i guess some people had floated or we we heard about this from joe but it was that um that uh this was actually a psyop that he was helping to perpetuate i mean and you brought up the ufo stuff um that you can find on the black vault and it's like i don't know how familiar you are with i forget the exact case but one of the things that the u.s government did do um was intentionally leak falsified ufo documents to a ufo um enth enthusiast who would then kind of you know disseminate that to the public and the idea was that that would serve as a cover-up for their covert weapons testing yeah yeah. So, so I mean, that, that theory as well was one that we had heard. I don't know if you want to weigh in on that at all. I'm just trying to think of how... Um, yeah, I mean, there was some weird shit with... Um, I guess that might kind of tie into... Uh, what's it called? Uh, oh, God. What was the... What was, this, was it a CIA program where they were manipulating people mentally? MKUltra? MK yeah. yeah. Um, sorry. <laughs> Very obvious. This one, um, the, there was some of definitely some of that kind of rumor mill stuff swirling around at the time, or this is a psyop, this is an MKUltra. I know that uh, Joseph said that at one time the military contacted him um, because they were interested in uh, how it had something to do with trying to weaponize uh, or how to build in logic from. Uh, consensus reality manipulation into uh oh god what was it missile tracking or some weird shit um so basically increasing the odds of hitting your target <laughs> right Whoa. Um, through using some type of consensus reality based system <laughs> that is weird yeah uh and jo I, did joseph talk to you at all about the meta machine no at least so, he didn't use that that term for it. Okay. Um, he and this is super foggy too, but and maybe you can talk to him more. He he would have a much better um, explanation for it. But he Joseph was you know he worked for Adobe and a, a bunch of tech companies and did lots of programming and um, one of his tinkering projects was the, the Meta Machine, basically you know the the thousand monkeys typing idea. But, um, to help him construct a narrative that would, uh, I'm, I'm going to mangle how he would explain it, but basically to help him uh, generate data and information to help kind of seed a, a constructed story to help shift consensus reality. That was my loose understanding of it. And that information came quite late in looking into Ong's hat because you know, the cracks are starting to show and he was saying, well, this is, you know, I, I this was all just the thing. And I, I was, uh, you know, I was I was experimenting with um, a group created narrative to see how flexible and permeable reality was. Right. 
Or at least that's what, what the outcome kind of was. Yeah. So <laughs> we might have to jump around chronologically a little bit here, but, I, but I'm curious to hear about kind of how you, how far you felt you got into the narrative and, um, you, you know, you had said, I, I don't think I got all the way. Like, mm -hmm. if, if you can elaborate on that at all, why, why you felt that yeah. way. And, and yeah, I, I guess sort of like where you, again, I think we're going to have to jump back a little bit, but kind of where you ultimately felt you ended up in the narrative and sort of how, how things resolve because I know that Joe had uh, originally intended to do kind of a big debrief with everyone. Um, at least that's what he told us. And, and because of the circumstances of how toxic the forums had gotten, he never had the opportunity to do that. But um, yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's something that we can get into. Yeah. According to him later on uh, the, community was so toxic that he was like, there was people showing up in his life, um, causing problems. Right. Um, people who were far more obsessed than I was, uh, going to his doorstep essentially. Right. So, uh, that kind of dovetails into why I don't think I got to the end because around the time where I, I felt like I was getting some traction and getting to that end, if there was an end, um, is about the same time that, that Joseph came out and said, you know, this was all a big joke and none of it is real. And um, there was there was a point um, at that very end point. It was a really interesting psychological thing, I think, for the whole community, because the way that it was ended was very abrupt. Um, and, and Joseph being a prankster, as as I think he is, I think that wasn't done with some intent. But it was enough to like um, stoke the fires. Like it was like, well, how you, you built up this massive story and this narrative and all these players and characters and locations and and some things being real and some things not. And you're entering, you're basically ending it on a whimper, right? You're saying it was a joke. See ya, <laughs> right? Um, so that that was about the time I felt like I was coming to some answers, but there was no one one left to play the game essentially right is there anything specific that you remember about where you felt you were at that at that point like why you you know anything that you can point to as a as a sign or a signifier of why you felt like you were um getting traction in the game uh at one point i um i, I was getting some information and i'm so sorry like it's super foggy but i was getting some info about a specific travel cult uh where they may have uh you know the, so the story went that i found um they were they were doing experimentation and travel and i was i was getting down to like bare bones like okay well where are they like can i go there can i meet these people right um and that's kind of when the door slammed shut uh, I was just, I wasn't getting inf any more information, but I had, I had kind of followed this breadcrumb to a specific group on the West coast, um, that may, may have been doing this type of experimentation. Um, and then, and then everything happened and I kind of lost any meaningful traction there. What, were you alone? Were you alone in that? Or were there other users on the forums that were following similar leads and, and it was kind of a collective sharing of information? As far as I know, I was alone on that one. Um, the 
I also at that around the same time I was I was going to see if I could pull some money together um, or or get funded. This was before crowds crowdfunding, so uh, but I was going to see if I could get some money t- together to to do an expedition to Ong's Hat um, to see if I could find the original um, commune, and I was going to you know film it and put it online or whatever. Um, that was also happening around the same time, and that's kind of when everything kind of imploded, which I guess could tell you. A couple things. It could say, well, yeah, of course it was all bullshit. Um, and it had to implode because someone was actually going to go do these things, right? Or maybe it was real and they're like, <laughs> they, they didn't want it exposed in that way, right? Yeah. Do, do you know of anybody well, on, the, on the forums who actually did go out to the Pine Barrens? And, and you know, I, I guess there were stories that there was like a park ranger out there who who had seen the brochures because people were going and distributing them there or yeah. Like, do you you know anything about that? There was a a restaurant there and somebody kept filling the, uh, someone kept filling one of the, the tourist information carousels with Ong's hat brochures. Um, (laughs) And uh, there, there were a couple people on the forums and I don't remember their names, unfortunately, but they did uh, go out because they lived in pretty close proximity um, and, you know, stomped around, didn't find, didn't find anything significant. Um, there was, uh, before I was about to go, I had some really good satellite data and, uh, I picked out a couple different locations, uh, that looked, you know, it was obviously they were settled areas. Um, and based on, you know, looking at the story and what was supposed to be around these places. There was even, you know, these metallic Airstream trailers, which was a part of the kind of lore of everything. Um, you could see it in the satellite data. So that was where I was going to go at the time. Um, uh, sorry, I think I'm missing part of your question. Uh, oh, and just, just like, I think you, you did address it, but it was more about um, any, you uh other users on the forum who had purported to go out there and kind of what they reported about um, yeah it was yeah again, it was like a couple people and they they just they did it simply because they were close to that area so it was easy for them um but they didn't do any you know it wasn't a wasn't a deep dive hike into the bush or anything got it they just went out to whatever like, you know, like the restaurant or, yeah. or things like that so there were no revelations that came about as people actually exploring the the real area. No, but if you go on YouTube, actually, and I just did this recently because of the, you know, doing the podcast and stuff, um, you'll find videos of people trudging around in the Pine Barrens looking for Ong's hat. It's pretty, pretty funny, actually. I, I watched one of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's like Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Over again. Yeah. Um, but um, I did have, I, I, I'll... I don't think I have an archive of it, but I did have a satellite um, location that was really interesting. It was deep into the Pine Barrens. It was uh, there were a few Airstream trailers. They, you could see them in the satellite footage. Um, there was like a big kind of common space or big barn building, and it was a very it was an odd location. What was interesting about it was that it just kind of it kind of lined up with the stories being told about that. Oh wow. Um, uh, so I, I have a, I have a question when, when, um, just kind of going back a little bit with, um, you know, at the point, uh, in your, um, in your research or discovery or, or playing this game or however you want to put it, like when you 
got that message from Joe that he was shutting things down as, as a guy who said he's, you're into, you know, uh, I guess you're into magic and you're into, um, uh, those sort of elements. Like, I guess when the, when the curtain was sort of pulled back and, you know, there was no wizard or, or, or whatever, um, did you find that disappointing at all at that, that point? Did you find, like, I'm just curious kind of what your reaction was, um, when Joe, I, I guess perhaps you also may not have believed what Joe was saying was actually real as mm-hmm. well, but I'm just kind of curious, like your emotional state at that point. Uh, I don't think I was that bothered by it. I, the whole time I had kind of like gone on the ride. Um, cause it was, it was really fun. It was, a, <laughs> it was a fun kind of information dive into some really weird eclectic information. Um, and I, you know, for me, like this story was so out there that short of like having some tangible physical experience with any of it, th- there's no way I was going to believe it. Um, um, it. You know, unless there was something evidential that came across my desk that just there was there was never anything that hard that I could go, OK, you know, that's that's real or isn't real. And the way that it ended um, was to me, it was kind of funny uh, because it was, in a way, it was ended perfectly because it kept you guessing, right? <laughs> because just just the nature of how uh, quickly it was excised uh, made it feel like, uh, you know, it, you could interpret that as, you know, the, the cult is completely filled up. We're, we're off. See you guys later. Thanks. We did our thing, you know. <laughs> uh, or Joseph was legitimately being harassed by a bunch of crazy people, and he just had had enough with the whole topic, right? Right, right. But I mean, did, did you feel upset that the ride was over, um, you know, or there was no ending to the game, uh, even if you didn't take everything seriously? That like all you got basically was a, was a, you know was a, a note that says like, hey, this is coming to a close. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was it was more of a feeling of like, um, damn it, this movie could have had a better ending, right? Um, yeah, it was it was more that more the sense that there was no finality or completion to the loop of storytelling, if that's what it was, a story. Um, but it also like in some ways it was its own end, uh, you know, because like I said, you could interpret it as, uh, you know, Joseph you know, hopped off to Earth or Java 2, you know, <laughs> the second version of Earth. And it, it ended abruptly because they had they had served their purpose. So in a way, it had its own ending. And so I, I, just to give you like, you know, the temperature of the community was very much split that way. It was like, um, oh, this would make sense if X or this makes sense because it's basically split into two factions of, well, it ended that way because... It was all bullshit and Joseph was telling a story or it ended that way because the cult was full to capacity and they were done with the program and they've left Earth Prime. Right. Right. Absolutely. So when it when it came to like other people that you interacted with or observed in the forums, um, did you get a sense how many of those people viewed it the same way that you did or or? maybe those that maybe took it way more seriously. I mean, I know that we've, we've talked about there being, you know, issues with people showing up um, on, uh, 
you know, on, on Joe's um, yard and, and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. But the, um, um, you know, what, what would you say, like most people that were that were uh, part of these forums, like what, what did they believe? Were, were they just kind of into the story element? Were they into trying to discover the truth of it all? Um, was yeah. it pretty evenly split? I, I mean, it's hard to give an exact number, but like I, it felt like, you know, 20, 25% of the, the community was um, st- strictly in the, this is such utter bullshit. You guys are idiots for even considering it. I'm going to prove how it's bullshit, right? But then, you know, the rest of the, you know, the 80, 80% or whatever uh, was, sorry, I guess it breaks down even more than that. Then there was the crazy people. <laughs> so so there was, um, you know, another 20, a pretty, <laughs> pretty high ratio of crazy people, another 20% of crazy people. And then there was everybody else in the middle. So, you know, um, so you had like a 60% ratio of people who were just along for the ride and they weren't judging it either way which was kind of cool in a way like you know people weren't the thing about the internet in the early 90s is it wasn't as jaded and shitty and toxic as it is now um so people were a lot more kind of civil to each other at least my recollection of it was that um and everybody was just you know kind of happily working together on solving this thing i don't it was something that i don't think could happen today i I agree i feel like to hear that you know roughly 60 percent of that forum were people who were open-minded about you know the origin of the story and and you know the nature of the narrative itself i i feel like today you know you would either have people who are pursuing it because they were uh you know, other rather um, they were either dangerously unhinged or maybe like sweetly and, you know, like, hey, I'm just hoping for some magic or people who are doing it explicitly to try to debunk and 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 prove that the, um, yeah. you know, the Joe or whoever the central figure was is is a fraud. I mean, like mm-hmm. you, you would not have people who are just like, oh, I'm just going to just going to go along for the ride with no stake in this, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah, it's 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 changed so much. Um, so so how how much then though of a of a sense did you get of kind of the evolution of the forum into something that was maybe more toxic, or was that something that was just literally Joe's experience, and you were pretty insulated from that um, as yeah, the, a user? I didn't really get a lot of toxic. Like even the people that were saying this is bullshit and you guys are foolish for believing it, they weren't specifically rude or toxic about what it was just their opinion right um the some stuff so there was i i don't well i'll I'll say her name was cynthia there was a, a woman that was involved very early on with the material um this is kind of a good arc to talk about because this this was somebody who i viewed as not an unhinged person and she um over time, uh, everybody kind of followed the same journey and everybody was on kind of the same cadence of learning things. And uh, at some point, uh, and she was like kind of just a normal human being talking back and forth. And uh, at some point she got involved with Joseph, or at least according to her, she did. 
uh, and she met him and they they had correspondence and uh, some really weird shit happened at some point. And so it's hard for me because I don't know. I, I didn't know this person personally, so maybe she just kind of lost her shit at some point. But um, she talked about having kind of a love affair with Joseph and uh, she was trying and she was, you know, trying to get herself involved in the truth of whatever this situation is. Um, God, and I don't, I probably shouldn't even tell the story because, it, you know, if Joseph is just a, you know, a, a storyteller, then this poor woman was getting sucked into like <laughs> the worst kind of situation. Um, but she, she ended up telling me that he was, that he was actually doing inter- interdimensional travel that, uh, she had seen travel eggs that, uh, he, uh, he was, recruiting for uh, dark purposes and that her learning that was basically got her, what got her expelled was kind that was kind of the body of the narrative and uh, and he was manipulating people right uh, and then I didn't hear from her again so but that is, that is one of like a bunch of different characters along the string of learning this stuff that came and went and uh you know, because it's the internet, who the fuck knows if that's not just, you know, Joseph version six, you know, being that, playing that role, essentially, right? So, so when, uh, you know, when, when the, uh, when Joseph did the interview with the survivors, um, or when Joseph kind of did any kind of audio recording with people who were supposedly close to the story, uh, it was highly. It was always highly scrutinized because they're like, okay, who the fuck are these people? Is it just Joseph being different characters, right? That was a big part of like what everybody was researching. Like, can we pick apart what roles are being played here? That was nearer to the end, but that was kind of everybody was kind of leaning towards. Well, there's there's a lot of this that doesn't feel real, and so let's let's figure let's reverse engineer how this story was constructed. Yeah, it's fascinating. What do you think? I just—I mean, do you just not know, or I mean, if you were to—if you were to guess, do you think that that was Joseph? Um, no, I maybe. God, I don't know. I, I actually—I actually don't know. Um, she was involved in the the user forums from very early on and was very active. But that's not to say Joseph couldn't have played that part too, right? Um, uh, I would suggest. Have you guys talked to Peter Moon? Not yet. No. Did, did Joseph say to talk to Peter Moon or no? No, he didn't. Okay. Um, you would he suggest was, have somebody to check to, check out. <laughs> yeah, I don't. He probably would hate me for saying that, but he might be an interesting person to talk to. I I did a book cover for him in. Um, God, when was it? long time ago anyways it was uh for a book called synchronicity in the seventh seal and i know that him and joseph were in close contact around that time um and the book itself might be interesting to you um anyways uh he but sorry i'm bringing him up because he may be another person that was actually joseph um that was one of the rumors swirling around uh, but the, yeah, on Amazon you can find it. Synchronicity in the Seventh Seal. I'll check it out. 
Um, so are you asking me if I believe the story or not? Is that kind of the question? Oh yeah, with um, with the woman that you you spoke of. Mm. You, yeah, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know. She's what? Like I said, there was many characters being played here. They're either real people or they're not. And um, the 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 story was so out there that chances are they're they were all the same person, or maybe maybe a handful of people that were propagating the same story. Yeah. Um, I guess I don't. I don't know, Todd. Do you feel like we're kind of moving towards the end here, or are there some specific things that we've missed along the way that we need to ask about? Yeah, no, I, 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 I think so. I mean, I, um, you know, I, I'd like. Uh, I'd be really curious to know, um, and I know that this is, this is a. Uh, a question that probably has a, a rather broad answer to it, but um, just about the the like the value that Ong's Hat served both for the community that you saw that participate in the forums, but then for you, you personally. I, I mean, has it done anything for you either, either professionally or or, or, or personally or? Yeah, for definitely. It it opened my mind to the possibilities of um, uh, many worlds theory and, and, you know, quantum reality being a, a pretty solid theory for how, you know, life operates. Um, it, it got me really interested in, um, you know, that I was saying this earlier, but the kind of fluidity of, of reality, because whether or not the story was true, um, that's the most fascinating thing for me is that in researching it, in, in reading the material surrounding it, uh, it's it generates significant synchronicities that are almost undeniable, um, and the malleability of reality has has kind of shaped my life view in a lot of ways, in a healthy way, I think. Um, it's I don't have a rigid life view at all, um, and in some ways it pushed me into my current career, which is you know I make. I make uh, cutting edge virtual reality experiences. I've been doing that since 2013. And the, a lot of the stuff that my studio has created is heavily inspired by these weird ideas about, um, you know, alternate realities or, or being able to travel vast distances in no time. In in fact, uh, you know, call this, we, we do a, a, a series in VR called the gallery and, the first episode call of the star seed is you're essentially looking for your lost sister. Um, but it all kind of culminates in this voyage across the stars and this weird temporal stargate thing. Um, and a lot, a lot of the hooks of the original Ong's hat story inspired a lot of the weird shit that we did in that game. So yeah, it's been a, it's been a huge um, benefit to my life. I enjoyed, I enjoyed it. It was great. One 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 event that we should maybe ask about is just um, your your thoughts on when Joseph appeared on Coast to Coast. Uh, way way back, I guess it was he was on there twice, right? And it was the first time was what he credited as really exploding, um, you know, interest in the in the legend. So I don't know if there's anything you can add on from your perspective or from where you were at that time? Yeah, I think, I mean, the first time I think he, 
if it's so hard to to say but at at the time at the first time he was on coast to coast was kind of at the peak of uh research and and when people were really starting to get hooked on the story in general and so he was very much the kind of lead storyteller at that point um propagating the material um i don't know that i can add anything to that it was it was obvious it was obviously at a point where he was super into what he was doing because he was on coast to coast what would you say then is just the the legacy of the legend and the fact that it kind of keeps popping up um you know it's it seems cyclical i guess right it goes away and then it comes back and and uh the media gets interested in it all over again like why why would you um how would you explain that from your perspective yeah that it i think i mean as as you guys are probably well aware like uh it's a lot like polybius am i saying that right um Polybius, Polybius, we hear it <laughs> yeah. all different kinds the, of ways. Yeah, the truth is we don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's a lot like that just in terms of the, there's something sticky about the discoverability of the story. Um, it's it's kind of like this subculture legend that won't go away because once you once you put one toe in, it's hard not to keep reading. Um, not many things are sticky like that online. Um, I don't quite, well, I do. I mean, I, I know from experience that, you know, once you start reading kind of the, the premise of what they're getting into, it's, it's hard not to, or it's hard to stop because, um, it's kind of like, it's like brain candy. There's so, there's so many aspects to it that keep you going, keep you reading. Um, and because there was kind of this collective, narrative discussed amongst a big group of people there's little tendrils and threads spread all over the place by this time that um make its reality or or fabrication hard to pin down so there's a there's a fast the second you put your toe in there's a fascination loop that you can't kind of easily get out of And what would you say about the like the broader influence of it on ARGs or you know it being credited as being sort of the the first? Yeah, I, I, that's huge. I, I I'm sure Joseph has said similar things. Like um, it's it is the first ARG if you want to look at it that way. Um, and it, you know, a very it was a very co-creative experience in a lot of ways. Um, and so, like, you know, when I brought up Cynthia or whatever, um, you know, if that person was real, that person was adding to the legend of the story, and and that happened a lot. There was a lot of different people saying a lot of different things. Um, so, the, the co-creation was definitely something that happened with that. And but there was this, there was obviously this body of people or person that was mediating it and and running the game um and whether the game was intended to be a recruitment tool or whether the game was intended to only be a game it was still a structured um experience right i'm going to ask you a weird question and and this is just because it it i'm just curious about your perspective and i'm not even saying that this relates necessarily to uh 
like this podcast or, or Ong's hat, but you know, like the way that you describe that, it's, it's really interesting when you consider the opposing viewpoints of people who are um, conspiracy theorists and then people who believe that, you know, uh, like large, large scale conspiracies are impossible to perpetrate. Mm. Um, you know, so you've got kind of like the chaos principle on, on one hand, and obviously I'm speaking about kind of like, you know, the, the world that we live in, but, um, you know, on the other hand, it's so interesting to kind of consider this idea that, um, you know, I think, I think maybe there people overreach or, um, maybe give more credit to, um, "Quote unquote string pullers," then then you necessarily need to if you're looking at the world that we live in and our society as an ARG and this idea that you know you have kind of the ground rules that have been established and then this idea of co-creation being everybody that is participating. I mean, it's it is just another definition of you know reality and as malleable as as any fiction that somebody might create. I, does that does that make sense what I'm saying? <laughs> oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, yeah. Um, that that could also be an interpretation of the Ong's Hat and Kinebula story entirely. It it could have been a way to make people understand how easily society is manipulated by these types of structures, um, and that it doesn't actually take much to to manipulate people um, into into a way of thinking and being so fully engaged with that it actually starts propagating a specific type of reality. Yeah. And you only kind of see that now, I think increasingly with, with, um, you know, people being so interconnected and and yet also isolated on, on social media and online. Yeah. Yeah, It's gotten gotten way worse, right? Um, people, people now create impenetrable, information bubbles and that's the only information they take in um and so as a manipulator for me to go in there and take that single bubble and just drop specific information into it it's super easy for me right yeah yeah i mean i guess in that way you would say that that given that this occurred during the infancy of um at least you know the the mainstream internet. That it, it's really prescient as an exper- as an experiment. Yeah. Oh, totally. Uh, yeah. 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 You could also that that is the the interesting tendril you brought up that you know it was a you know one of the rumors was it was potentially a way to you know it was a government experiment to manipulate people. Um, sure. <laughs> it could be that. It could have been an early version of that. Just to look into the efficacy of how one might be able to do that using the internet as a tool. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah, yeah. Cool. Like, there's no, there's no way that shit doesn't happen or hasn't happened. So why not this? Yeah, right. It, it's true. Um, Todd, you got I, anything? I have one more, yeah, I have one more question. Um, you know, one thing that we we've um, talked to Joe about um, is that he. that was amazing it's just like a total 
<laughs> de evolution into something what ARGs created. Yeah. I could, yeah. yeah. Todd, are you still are you able to say that again? I mean, one thing we've talked to Joe about is is this project that we're creating with him is um, is somewhat of a curtain call. Uh, he's for for the Ong's Hat legend. Um, though we've also talked to him, and and I think we even heard in the podcast that you participated in that he's he has said this you know many times before that he wishes to be done with this and yeah. um, you know and leave it be. I'm just curious, like, do do you think that Ong's Hat will be able to endure after Joe? Um, you know, finally says goodbye. I mean, whether that's, you know, 12 months from now when, uh, I mean, after this podcast comes out or like 50 years from now when, when yeah. I mean, when Joe potentially may no longer be here, like, do you think that mm -hmm. it has a life after Joe? No. <laughs> <laughs> I think, I think that the, in, the modern internet is too cynical these days to even, uh, I think that that's all it takes to kind of put the story to bed for that. That will be all that it takes for most people. That's just my opinion. But I think that without the information being kind of left in a nebulous state, um, saying that this is what actually happened, people will just kind of buy into that. And that'll be that. That's my opinion. Okay. Yeah, I, I, I guess that's sort of um, in, in a way, I mean, I, I'm appreciate your your candor um but i also think that's kind of a bummer you know because i think what what he's created is really special and i didn't know with all this renewed interest whether or not it would be something that that would be able to 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 grow and endure and other people would find it and you know pick it up and um and, and run with it one way or another you know i mean like you know like other um uh, other myths or stories or folklore or whatnot. Yeah. So it yeah. depends how open-ended this ending is. So uh, what I'll, I'll say this about Joseph since I've known him, you know, in night since 1989 or whatever the fuck it was. Um, like I said, he disappears every five years, <laughs> which is in, in, in and of itself is interesting. Like he'll completely fall off the map. Um, I had an experience with him. Uh, we were about to do a video game project together. Uh, he completely disappeared. Uh, and it took me a long time to track him down. I was just worried about him more than anything. Um, and this, But this is a chronic behavior every five years. And, and maybe that's just a lifestyle thing. But you could also, <laughs> if you want to be conspiratorial about it, you could also say that, well, he disappears because he's actually not here anymore. <laughs> He's on. He's on Earth too, or Java Prime. <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Um. Yeah. No. It's uh. <laughs> uh. It's all very much uh, a lot of fun to ponder. Yeah. I don't. I. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'll be really curious to see how he handles it. It. In whatever whatever people think about it, it's his it's his lineage. It's the thing that has stayed with him for a long time. It's the thing he's most well known for. Um, so uh, how he chooses to leverage or end that will be interesting to watch. I think that'll be kind of the reaction from most of the the old uh, eggheads that followed that story. Is you know how how is it actually being wrapped up? Right. Yeah. Absolutely. 
Um, cool. I, I mean, I, I'm pretty good, John, if you feel the same. Yeah, no, this was great. Denny, thank you so much for your time and your generosity and, uh, you know, speaking to us. This was awesome. Yeah, no problem. Um, what do you guys have going on next? What do you? We are talking to um, Jim Curcio uh, <laughs> next week. And then still circling back to try to follow up with a couple people that we emailed um, that we haven't heard back from. Uh, obviously, we'll bring up Peter Moon to Joe now. But the idea was, I guess, essentially, we were going to try to see if we could finish up these interviews, then basically um, see if we can like structure out, you know, like a six episode arc for it. And then, you know, each episode would be 20 to 30 minutes long and then um, cut the pilot by basically the end of August. And right. um, so that's, that's our aspiration anyway. Cool. Yeah. yeah. I look I look forward to hearing it, you guys. Uh, yeah. Good luck. Best of luck with pulling it together. Thank you so much. Appreciate Thanks it. For, appreciate your time. Take yeah, care. No worries. Okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. See you. About that. I did one interview where I thought they were going to be editing it, and they wound up just running the whole thing live, and I was like, oh, man. Oh. <laughs> it was like a two-hour-long yeah. conversation. Some of it was really interesting, but some of it was just, you know, babbling. So. have this as many times as possible. No pressure with it. But, um, uh, so curious, Chase, maybe like a good starting point with this would be, um, and I know that you sent us the bio, but just to, like, I'd love to know a little bit, we'd love to know a little bit more of like your, your background as like a, as a, as an artist and as an author and can you kind of sure sum up that, yeah. that, I mean, I can, also, I can also give a lead, kind of, that kind of dovetails with how I met Joe ultimately kind of not surprisingly. Yeah, right. So I can, I can mention that too. Um, but yeah, like I, I work in kind of a wide variety of mediums and formats, which can kind of seem a little kind of all over the place, but it all actually intersects. It's all about the you know connection between fact and fiction, um, recognition of the role of myth and folklore, you know, in our personal lives. So it's not surprising that I met Joe, <laughs> knowing what you do about him. Um, my first book was called Join My Cult. I came out with a New Falcon Press. And um, he'd worked with them previously, and they kind of put us in contact and knew that I liked, you know, telling. Like, Joy My Cult was actually based kind of loosely on the experience of growing up in suburbia, um, you know, kind of like out, outsider, goth kid, whatever. Um, and, you know, we started dabbling with the occult and psychedelics and whatnot. And, um, you know, there was kind of a real world thing that happened, but then we wrote a fictional story off of it that was kind of parodying a lot of things that were happening at the time. And I think that's part of what caught Joe's attention, the sort of, you know, use of real life events or real life characters sort of in a fictional context. Um, and then later on, I started doing the vice versa. I started studying um, philosophy and doing sort of kind of a nonfiction analysis of, of narrative. Um, but that came a little bit later. Um, so I work, yeah, both writing, illustration, audio. I did a lot of audio production for a while. I co-founded an um, audio studio with some people in upstate New York. So kind of <laughs> work in various uh, mediums. And um, so, you said that, that, that Joe found you, 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 you didn't find him. Is that, that correct? Yeah, pretty I mean, essentially, I mean, it was, it was my publisher who, who put us in contact really. Um, but I think he, he wrote me first. Um, 
and uh, he at that point in time actually it was um he was working on Grey Lodge podcasting and a couple other things and and Hong, um, Ong's hat and uh, actually one of the first projects I worked on with him was kind of helping him on a website archive of the project um, it's not around anymore but so so your introduction to him you you knew then that Ong's hat, Ong's hat was um, you know at least largely fabricated and. Uh, uh, there was there was no um, element of distinguishing fact from fiction or or what was well, meant wasn't. I mean there I mean I think that there there are some real kind of you know real world and real life elements um, involved in narrative but I didn't know that that you know Ong's hat wasn't um, you know what it purported to be exactly uh, it wasn't like you know actually time traveling you know use of quantum mechanics to manipulate the structure of reality etc going on at least at least not there right <laughs> what were what were some of the things that you know because when we talked to joe he um and, and to be candid I, like uh we we said this in another um interview that we did it was like you know in terms of how joe encountered uh, you know what he says is is the way that he encountered it was um, you know he was he was in the kind of the zine and the mail art culture and um, I think it was Nick Herbert who who sent it to him uh, initially and he just kind of flipped out about it and uh, <laughs> you know so like um, whether whether that's you know whether that's true or whether you know like that's even part of the story itself like we we don't we're not particularly interested in trying to you know dissect that and pick that find apart. out the truth right. yeah not yeah we'll, we'll take we'll take uh you know his word for it but um I, I guess um you know along those lines when he when he recounts the story he he says there are these elements to it that are sort of mysterious and you know such as the purported uh nuclear incident that was or uh out there and the military went out there and you know all, all these things that sort of ha may have actually happened in that in that region. And I, I'm just curious what your perspective is on on that, given uh, you know sort of your interest in in the dividing line between yeah. you know, myth and, and fact. Well, I have definitely experienced sort of the phenomenon of you know where you, where you kind of either invent a story or you sort of pick up on something, kind of elaborate on it, and then later on find out either that it's true or that it's something has happened afterwards. So that's you know altogether possible. But I don't actually know, um, you know, if I have. I mean, I don't know too much about. I haven't actually been to Ong's Hat physically, and I don't. Um, <laughs> I couldn't speak to it. I'm not sure. <laughs> Did did you like others uh, that we that we've spoken to? Did you um, encounter any of the synchronicities or sort of strange events that started happening uh, when you began interacting with Joseph? Or, or? well, I mean, I, th I think it, I mean, it kind of had already that had already been going on. So I can't I wouldn't say what started when I when I met him, um, but it certainly fed into the fold of it pretty pretty quickly. Actually, when both of us were collaborating, I had a lot of people who were convinced that either, you know, I was actually Joseph Metheny or sometimes, you know, vice versa. But usually it was more, you know, because Joseph was more established, kind of people assumed that I was like one of his alters, you know, internet alters or whatever. Um, and were surprised to discover that I was a real person. So that was a little a little strange when I started encountering that. Um, there's a couple people on, online who were, you know, absolutely adamant that, you know, that I wasn't real. <laughs> so, and this is, of course, you know, 10 years ago. So like kind of the internet hadn't, hadn't permeated, um, into our everyday life quite as much. So it was, you know, there was kind of more of a divide in that sense. Um, but 
you know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, so, so that, that, that also kind of answers the question of you guys started getting involved um, professionally around 2008, 2009? Um, no, it was before that. It was 2005, I think. Oh, okay. Five. Yeah. Five. Okay. So, because um, he also introduced me to Dave, Dave Zolborski. I don't know if you've heard of him or not. He was also involved in a lot of ARGs, Chasing the Wish, and um, did a promotional one for Audi and stuff. Um, but yeah, so he, he got us in touch, and that was around 2005 when we worked on Chasing the Wish comics. So it must have been, unless if he was doing time traveling, it must have been that time. Yeah. 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 Joseph had brought him up. And, and forgive me if I'm mistaken, but he has since passed away. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. Yeah, and we we're actually in, in in the midst of a pro of a project when he got sick. So, wow. A, yeah. Um, Happens, and, unfortunately. Yeah, um, and I I, I guess uh, if you know, in terms of like what you recall about it, we we would kind of love to hear your version of the legend. Um, if you're able to give us kind of a brief overview of some of the things that you think stand out about it. Of Ong's hat. Exactly. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure you've heard the, you know, kind of the, 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 the sort of traditional sort of folkloric element, you know, or like people debate about whether it was, um, you know, some, some guy who like threw a hat up in the air and got caught in a tree or, um, you know, various in terms of how Long's hat was named. Um, I, you know, I honestly don't know why Joe, like why he picked that specific location. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure about that, but I, I don't know if I, yeah, I don't know if I have too much to contribute to to that. And that's this is the thing, like I you know I work with him on Ong's Hat, but it was kind of once it had become an archival project, um, you know. And my interest with that has mostly been in alternate reality gaming and kind of getting the you know sort of structural element of it into you know into my own work. But I, I, I don't know. I I don't have too much to say about. Ong's hat that's going to help you in that way. And that's, okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I can kind of, but most of what I'm going to say is the same stuff that everyone else has, you know, has said about Ong's hat. I'm sure, you know, that it was, um, you know, project going on at MIT. Um, you know, there was kind of a, like people passing around stories about, I mean, honestly, I think quantum physics kind of just peaked at that point in time. So it became a sort of way to overwrite on top of everything else, you know, um, connect conspiracies together um and the egg was kind of tricky in that in that way it was a kind of a wise choice on, on his part to have the sort of device that um you know you can take all these different stories about quantum mechanics being able to affect reality um you know on our scale which isn't really true and um you know applying it to that i think that was kind of cool but i haven't like i said i haven't gone down his hat physically um yeah so 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 when you say that your interest in it was more kind of deconstructing it from a narrative perspective and then mm -hmm. applying that to your own work i mean i think we'd love to hear more about that and to our mutual work yeah to your mutual work sure yeah, yeah love to hear more about that and then also mm -hmm. um kind of when if, if if there's anything specific that you can elaborate on as to when your sort of interest in the difference between reality and fiction, and I would assume how both can be, um, how both are related and both are sort of malleable. Uh, I'd yeah, be, that's, that's, we'd love to hear about a, that. That's like a huge topic. It's one and of those feel free, feel like free to that. rant. Feel free to rant. 
like a, a sailing a mountain with my forehead, you know, it's, yeah. it's, a, it's a big topic, but, um, Oh, where did it start? I don't, you know, I don't even know exactly where, where my interest, um, sort of in, in mythology started. Um, I mean, obviously there was like Joseph Campbell, um, you know, I got a bunch of his lecture tapes. A friend of my mom's had died of cancer and, um, she had like a collection of all of his lectures, you know, and like a lot of the kind of harder to find ones and stuff. So when I was in high school, I kind of devoured all of those. Um, and that was probably, that, that probably gave me the sort of conceptual basis for it, but I've always been interested, um, you know, in this sort of subject. Um, it's the first book that I ever learned to read, uh, read with was Lord of the Rings. Um, and before that point, I, a lot of people would consider it like teachers and whatnot when I was in, you know, first to third grade, thought that I had some sort of learning, dis like learning disability because um, I couldn't read. And then my mom started reading me uh, Lord of the Rings and immediately it just, I don't know, it's like a flip switched and I suddenly was interested and then engaged with it. And suddenly I was reading at a college level within a couple of months, um, you know, which is a great origin story, right? But it is true. Um, <laughs> so, and, and, you know, of course, Lord of the Rings was, you know, based on actual folklore, actual myth, but then created in a fantasy was sort of drawn out of that. And it's always been my intuition that most fantasy, uh, most fiction for that matter, is that way. You know, they say, write what you know, but what that really means, at least to me, it means like, you know, that you take your, you kind of using your real world or your, you know, your lived experience to sort of um, synthesize um, any, any fiction, you really can't think outside the box in that way. We can't get outside of our heads. So when we create a fic, you know, a fantasy or a fiction, we're still working off of what's inside, inside our skull. So, um, you know, it's kind of the, the source material, right? So, um, and a lot of what's been happening politically now, I think, kind of has brought this all back to back to a head about the, you know, the differences between, um, you know. Uh, fiction and reality, um, and also the ways that they can blend into each other, because they aren't. It's it, it's it's too easy to just say they're the same, because they're obviously not. Um, but that but there's so many strange ways that they overlap. I mean, we were mentioning earlier about how someone can believe, you know, can can like come up with an idea and then discover that it already happened, or that they come up with an idea and then it actually seems to create the thing happening. Um, you know, and of course, there's all the occult and magic sort of elements in that. But I think a lot of it winds up being sort of just picking up on stuff that's almost like just kind of in the atmosphere. You know? um, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, de I definitely say that, you know, there, there's, um, you know, a, a, a good deal of quote unquote reality is, is you know, uh, essentially just stories that people have bought into and then now believe and take literally. So, yeah. Or apply literally, right, to their to their lives. Uh, yeah, exactly. You're kind of recognizing that the, the the role of myth and folklore and the development of group and personal identity, like we form our personal identities and also our group identities off of you know myths, essentially. Um, you know, of course, it, especially these days, but just in general, it's not necessarily like you know people think of myth and they think of like Zeus or you know that sort of thing, and it's that's not really exactly what I mean. But it's it's a collective story, is what a myth is. Um, and that's been my kind of focus. And also that's obviously where, yeah, Joe and I started, um, working together. There was an interesting thing that came up when we were speaking with, I believe, David Metcalf and that was, mm -hmm. um, yeah, I know him. yeah, that, that was that, you know, we were kind of talking about, 
this idea that, you know, and, it, and it's a rather um, maybe oversimplified uh, analogy to make, but this idea that, you know, if you look at an ARG such as the one that, that Joseph created, and then, you know, compare that against, um, you know, a media-driven reality, it's like the, the idea that, you know, Joe establishes a certain narrative framework or um, uh, and 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 provides the context, right? And then mm -hmm. all the participants sort of co-create, co um, you know, the game together, and and as such are 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 you know partly author and and collaborator and and also participant, and um, that that certainly seems to be very much the way that. Uh, you know, that the world operates. I mean, that we, you know, we, we have these sort of established frameworks that are provided to us and then, you know, um, and then people end up kind of co-creating, you know, reality off of that. And uh, that's exactly right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, oh, it's funny though, because if you took it in a different context, what you described is, is also what happens at a D and D session too. So <laughs> and that's the workiest thing in the world to say, but it's, it's true. You know, you have, you have this person who's guiding the story, the, you know, the dungeon master or game master, whatever you want to call. And then the players who are also kind of participating in the story, it's a similar sort of framework. Um, you know, and I know that, you know, I mean, I don't think Joe plays RPGs frequently, but certainly familiar with them. Um, and you know that was certainly intrinsic in my own sort of kind of learning to write and and also just kind of interest in stories is through interactive stories. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I think I think it's interesting too when when um, you know then you kind of move into the the arena of conspiracy and and this mm -hmm. idea that you know people tend to be on either of two uh, sides of that debate, which is either that you know the world is completely chaotic and there's no way to kind of control anything. And, and therefore anything that happens has to be the result of chaos and coincidence. Uh, obviously there's human will and, and so forth, but you know, people tend to use this idea that the world is far too chaotic to, uh, to orchestrate. And then on the other hand, you've got people who are, who believe that I think, you know, every, almost everything is manipulated and controlled. But um, to me, the, the kind of like the ARG model suggest something that might live in between those two spaces. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's exactly, I was just going to say that. Yeah, it's, it, it is, because I mean, the kind of baseline is the chaos, but then you have all these actors who either through their connections or through their material resources or, you know, I guess you'd say soft or hard resources are able to, you know, kind of make their stories um, more compelling to more people. And so, you know, I mean, Kind of the de, de facto example right now is obviously Trump. Um, you know, he he kind of is more of a lightning rod for the media than you know Joe Schmo, right? Um, you know, so obviously, like in that sense, it's like there are certain people who have more more control in constructing social reality. Um, unfortunately, we're kind of seem to be handing it over to some of the worst, but that's a whole other thing. Although yeah. I guess it does tie into conspiracy theory. I mean, that's, you know, as, is, you know, it feels good to be on the inside. It feels good to be in the know. And I think that feeling of being on the inside of the sort of outsider group is kind of a lot of what drives, um, you know, conspiracy kind of group think. Um, that's one of the ironies, of course, is that all of them are slogans tend to be, you know, think for yourself. And it's always about group think. And it's always about conforming to that sort of group narrative, um, you know.
Yeah. Um, and, and so kind of like one of the, the amusing um, theories that I guess came up on the uh, forums as a result of this was that Ong's hat was actually, you know, like an early government psyop or, or program to look at how people can be manipulated through, uh, you know, through the internet. Um, so like, like Monarch or MK Ultra Part 2 kind of thing? Exactly, yeah. So that was one of the theories that was floating around on the forums. Yeah. yeah they amusing. Played with a variety of um, you know, Monarch mind control kind of alternate narratives in um, Party at the World's End, which is the, my second book. It came out after Join My Cult. Um, and, a, and a big part of it does it kind of involve this one character who um, sees patterns behind everything. He's sort of the quintessential conspiracy theorist. Um, but he's kind of one of those who's, who's more fixated on finding patterns than on necessarily consistency or like sticking to one of them so every time he kind of creates a sort of grand theory for everything he's moved on to something else and you know everyone else is kind of left in the dust um, so so is your interest in this and i mean you know get, given kind of the milieu that you that you um operate in is, is that is this interest um how would you characterize it is it something where it's like you feel like you're uh, just, is it a fascination? Is it something where you're sort of on the outside critiquing or do you feel like, um, you know, you recognize uh, some of those traits in yourself and that's why you're drawn to it? With conspiracy theory? Well, conspiracy and, you know, you had mentioned kind of your, your interest in the, in the occult. Right, and, occult. Um, sure. You know, how, how, how do you feel like all these things uh, connect um the you know the dots from personal to to artistic and you know in terms of the con that continuum well it's i mean it's obviously been a, a long process um you know i got interested in these things in, in my teens and I'm 41 now so it's you know <laughs> it's it, it's transformed uh, a great deal but um these days I, i'd say that it's it's kind of there isn't you said would say obsession or just say interest, but anyway, there's a certain obsessive in, uh, element to it. Um, I think that's true with all artists. You know, you take on the sort of um, a theme or something that kind of catches your catches your interest, and after a while, um, you're not necessarily sure why you're kind of in that in that vein anymore. Um, and I think that for me, that's kind of been where I'm at in terms of you know the occult. Certainly, um, I've been less connected with that these days than I than I used to be. Um, um, but I, I do find it fascinating. I, mean, I just find human behavior fascinating because some, I mean, I think some of it is because I always have felt a little bit like on, on the outside looking in, um, and then, but not like in a way that's uncomfortable with that. I mean, I'm, I'm fine with that, you know, with that role it gives you more, more, um, perspective in a way, but at the same time, you know, beyond sort of like why, why are humans so fascinating is because of the fact that they were so contradictory. Um, so I don't think there's going to be, as much as people try to find a grand theory for, for things, there's not going to be one. Um, so I'm not looking for that. I'm not looking for the, the answer myself. I don't have that sort of, um, I don't know, there's a certain fervor that a lot of conspiracy theorists have to find the truth, right? And I don't, that, that's never been a driving force for me so much. It's, it's more about, um, you know, like I said, um, you know, kind of human behavior um, and the fact that we can't. We can't escape these things. I mean, people will, you know, sort of with one hand, you know, deny their, um, well, some people anyways will, will like 
deny that they that they believe in myths or that they you know follow anything but facts or scientific truth and at the same time you know if you actually scrutinize decisions they're making it's you know it's impossible to get away from yeah um in in terms of uh how you would apply that to joe i mean when when we yeah. talked to him he described himself as a ritual magician he said that um Ong's hat was actually an example of of ritual magic, and obviously he re he referred to you know the sacred game as what he called it, and um, uh, we, you know alternately we've heard people refer to it and, and other games like it as the infinite game. Um, but uh, you, you know we so um, in terms of kind of like your connection to Joe on that level or, or what you know about him in, in that area, and then also. Uh, you know, along those lines, we, we kind of heard from multiple people that that Joe sort of like disappears every couple of years and then sort of will, will you that's, know. I mean, that's true. Part of the reason why I was kind of jumped at the uh, opportunity to talk about it and been excited about it is that um, Joe just disappeared for a couple of years. Um, and I this time I didn't think he was going to pop up again. So <laughs> it's very happy to see that he did. Uh, <laughs> So uh, I believe he was in, in the uh, in our, uh, Antarctica for a little while, um, but I don't, I don't know the full story behind that. <laughs> <laughs> you you didn't inquire? I well a little bit, but you know I, I don't know like kind of why. <laughs> so this has been something that's like uh, you would say characterizes Joe in terms of your 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 knowing him for the past whatever it's been yes and no uh, it's yeah um i mean the first three or four years we were in pretty constant contact but we were also working on some projects together um alterati which was a kind of online sort of counterculture web website he, he brought me on as the senior editor for it so um you know we were kind of in frequent contact and he was around during that period but um when we weren't working on projects together you know kind of we kind of drifted apart a little bit and just then you know he kind of disappeared for periods and i figured it was um, kind of, you know, whatever, but I have heard some stories from, from friends about, um, you know, kind of him disappearing for, for periods when they, when they were working on things. So I don't know <laughs> what that's about. Maybe he goes into a different dimension. It's hard to say. And, and he, can you elaborate on that? I would be really curious to, uh, okay. Um, I mean well, I, I heard a story, uh, from a friend of mine that, that, that they were working on a thing and, um, he went out to, to, you know, kind of to, to visit him. Um, and in place of, you know, meeting Joe, he found an empty tent and a knife in the tent and that was it. And then he didn't find him there afterwards. And, you know, that's why he was kind of like, he'd, he emailed me. He was like, have you heard from Joe? Cause you know, he, he isn't around and we're supposed to meet up and I just found this tent and a knife in it. And I was like, okay, well, on the one hand, that isn't necessarily all that strange, but on the other hand, you know, keep me posted. <laughs> so, um, but he did pop up again, obviously. So that's good. <laughs> and when you asked him about his, his trip to Antarctica, I know you can't get into it too much, but like, what was his response in, ter in terms of like why he was even there? Um, well, I mean, he mentioned he'd been studying, um, Zen Buddhism and sort of nihilistic sort of strain of it. Um, so I assumed that that was kind of involved in it. I mean, trying to get away from other people, um, Antarctica would be a good place to do it, right? <laughs> right. So, um, you know, that was kind of my my assumption. But got it. I know he's kind of he's kind of into the the wilderness, you know, kind of survivalist thing sometimes. So, 
Yeah, he's he said that he's he's uh, friends with quite a number of eco extremists. So I think um, that that is definitely awesome. something that yeah. <laughs> Um, I'm yeah, just I mean, curious what. Oh, sorry, let me take you off. Uh, so, uh, James, I'm, I'm curious. Just, what is Joe like as as a as a collaborator? In your experience, um, I mean, he's he's definitely not a micromanager, which in my case is as a good thing. But I think if if someone kind of needs the sort of guidance of like someone who's sort of every day sort of micromanaging what you're doing, Joe's definitely not a good, not the right person for that. But if you, you know, if you kind of can hold up your own, um, you know, he's really, he's really kind of good at sort of setting, setting the space for something and then sort of kind of passing it on to the team um, and then being there sort of as a consultant for it. And that's kind of the role that he's been in in a lot of the cases, you know, where, um, I've worked with him and it's kind of, I've sort of adopted that sort of strategy myself now that I think about it. I mean, it's not something I consciously did, but I'm thinking about the projects that I've run since I worked with Joe and I've kind of adopted a lot of his practices without thinking about it in that way. It's funny. Um, you know, where I, like, you know, when I'm working on a project with a couple of us, like working on a graphic novel right now called Tales from When I Had a Face and we have a team of six or seven people on it. Um, so, you know, like I kind of create the workspace for it, digital workspace, and then kind of manage it from there, but try to let people kind of do their own thing, um, you know, sort of dictating exactly what, you know, every, every person should do. Try not to be a control freak about it, <laughs> which is good. What, do you want to, um, is there anything you can share specifically about your collaborations on, you know, on um, catching the wish and, and ch chasing the wind? <laughs> Um, I was chasing, oh, sorry, the chasing the wish and catching the wish. Yeah. Um, yeah. Chasing the wish was uh, originally an ARG that um, Dave Zaworski ran, and then he wanted to do uh, a graphic novel. Originally, it was going to be a graphic novel series um, that was based in the world, and eventually, and kind of based in the world of the old story of the old ARG that had concluded, and at the same time serves as a sort of trailhead for the beginning of a new ARG um, called Catching the Wish. Um, and so, you know, I, I got together uh, a couple other illustrators to work with me. Um, that was actually the first graphic novel I worked on. So um, I learned a lot working on it. I, I don't, I'm not necessarily incredibly proud of the results just because it was my, my first. Um, and people, unfortunately, though, the, the, the full plan didn't wind up hatching because, like I said, uh, towards the end of it, Dave, Dave got sick. And um, so that kind of put the kibosh on you know, promotion and working on the, fu the future stuff. Um, it's really a shame, but um, but what do you want to know specifically about about the in, ter in terms of um, you know that that was like one of the first times you guys collaborated together. Um, yeah, it was was one of the first times Joe and I. Now Joe had kind of basically passed me on to Dave in that in that regard. Like we, uh, he wasn't uh, part of the creative team for that project. Oh, um, I see. Directly, but he. I mean, he did. You know, obviously kind of serves as a sort of consultant in a way for that too, um, especially for kind of catching me up on ARGs because, you know, I had more of a background in role-playing games and interactive stories. And so that in that regard, it really kind of already covers the bases, but, but ARGs kind of had a, um, you know, especially at that point in time, had a pretty dedicated fan base that were kind of familiar with certain um, projects and whatnot. So Joe did kind of help catch me up on, you know, what had gone on in that space. Um, at that period of time, like um, the the ARG they ran for Halo, um, I love these and stuff like that, and kind mm -hmm. of the, the methods that were used. 
Um, and then, but yeah, he wasn't directly involved in, in, in chasing the wish. Got it. Sorry about that. Um, no, it's okay. My mistake. Um, and and then in, in terms of when you guys were collaborating. Uh, on, you know, you were helping him do the archive. Um, was there anything interesting that you came across in that process or, or was it, was it pretty much just, uh, uh, you know, just kind of like you were doing it as a, as a, as a job for him? Um, yeah, I mean, it was mostly web, like a web design job, um, you know, in that, in that extent, but I did, it did help familiarize me with the materials. Uh, I think you've probably seen most of them, mm -hmm. um, you know, like the, the, the Xerox brochures and stuff that were passed out, um, you know, originally um up until you know kind of the end of the project uh, when people started parking on his lawn he decided to kind of back off a bit <laughs> i'm sure you heard that story already yeah 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 he just said that some people had, had, had showed up and he he had to you know he had to tell him he had a gun and, and get him off but right yeah yeah so um you you were you were uh, already um, i did actually um i did did get a i was forgot about this, but I got a lot of weird phone calls um, around the same period when I was saying people online were thinking that Joe and I were the same person and whatnot. Um, I did get a lot of strange phone calls from, from people, sometimes at like four in the morning. Um, I remember one guy, one guy called me up. I have no idea who they were, but you know, he went on this long kind of tirade about, about being Dionysus um, and believed that I had some sort of knowledge to impart upon him. So I was just picking books at random. <laughs> but you know, that was kind of fun and games back then. Um, in general, the tone has changed so much with conspiracy theory stuff. You know, that like there was kind of a fun element to it back then, and it's gotten so kind of serious and scary these days that it's just. You know, that's kind of, I think that's part of why it, it almost seems backed off. It, it almost seems like for what Joe says, I mean, it sort of changed over the course of, of Ong's hat a little bit where, where it, you know, began as a seemingly fairly innocent thing, but became a, a rather, a rather toxic. Um, yeah. I think it was kind of, a, it's kind of a canary in the mind, you know, mine shaft sort of situation, I think with that definitely um, because it was one of the first, you know, he started yeah, I guess we should have learned. <laughs> I don't know how you stop that process, though. Like I was saying, it's you know, it's it's kind of intrinsic. Um, people want to try to find the, the truth, the truth that's out there, and then wind up sculpting it around their own biases to begin with. So, do you, do you did, think? Did, oh, go, I was just going to ask: Do you think, more in general, that <clears throat> that has made you sort of cynical? Um, I mean, maybe you were already cynical. I don't know. <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. But, yeah, a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, do you feel like that kind of makes you cynical about about um, how people receive myth in their lives uh, in a contemporary setting, and and also sort of a, um, uh, just just kind of you know you think about the sort of utopian ideals of the internet, and then you see, and you see what the reality has become. And certainly, there's plenty of great things about it. But I, I'm just curious what your maybe how your perspective might have been shaped as a result of um, you know observing that. Even well, after a big, a big turning point for that was, of course, you know, sort of anonymous. Um, you know, I, um, I had a bunch of friends that were kind of more directly involved in, in anonymous than I was. Because um, a past collaborator who um, had actually been um, kind of 
outed, I guess, by the by the media and became sort of a figurehead for for it. Uh, Greg Hoosh, we've worked together on Rebel News for a couple of years, um, and you know, so we had many conversations about this and the sort of element of um, you know, there's one group, kind of contingent of Anans who had this sort of general idea that um, you know, sort of wisdom of the group. You know, and that like when you get lots of people together, of course, it's going to be bad ideas, but eventually the good ideas get upvoted, um, you know, figuratively or literally. Um, and then the counter argument to that, of course, is that, you know, kind of what we're seeing, I think, a little bit more of now, which is like the dark side, you know, where it's like the amplification process can, you know, is, is skewed based on people's biases, like I said, and kind of what they want it to be implicitly. So, like, you know, you get a bunch of racists together, for instance, they're not going to like suddenly that come up with this, you know, sort of non-racist great idea that's, it's not going to happen. <laughs> not going to upvote that idea. Um, so it's not sort of based on the sort of universal, you know? Um, yeah, it's very, so I think it's very, I am it's very cynical. insular. Yeah, so I think I am a little cynical in that in that sense. Um, but I mean, I still have, you know, I have some hope for it, certainly. It's just, um, you know, unfortunately, we're kind of on a timeline, but that's a whole other thing, right? <laughs> yeah. With climate change and whatnot. <laughs> I think part of the way that that um, that Joe presented Ong's hat was was problematic from the start, um, and it was intended to be like he just didn't know any better. But um, you know, he, he I mean, not really disclosing. Well, I don't. I mean, the thing is that most of the stories that were involved in it and sort of narratives were connected weren't. I mean, they didn't seem particularly like weaponized or weaponizable to me. Like, you know, I mean. It, I guess you could say, you know, that that making or having people believe anything that's true or that isn't true is like, you know, bad or whatever. But um, I think that there's definitely a, you know, a gradient. It's not like he was trying to convince people of some, you know, something that would like make them do something really bad in the real world, you know. Um, so I mean, I think maybe it was a little bit naive. If if someone tried to do that nowadays, I would say it's naive. But I mean, also it started in what like the eight, late eighties, early nineties. So, you know, it's kind of a different sort of perspective so in that context i don't think you know I, I don't i don't think it was tainted from the beginning in that in that way no yeah no and i i yeah i mean i i wouldn't think that it was i mean i definitely don't think it was intentional i mean john and i ran into this when we when we uh did a did a podcast where we blended fact and fiction and and uh-huh. um uh perhaps we're you know also a little bit naive and people you know had i mean a lot of people were upset and threw sort of various accusations at us and called yeah. them we did uh, as dangerous and, and it's all things we didn't consider because we thought it was just, it, it, it was fun and it was right. fun to kind of keep a mystery, create a mystery, keep it alive. And, and um, so, but I, I just wondered if, if, um, you know, if Joe had maybe, if he could have maybe presented it differently, if that might've, um, you know, if, if there might've been a different outcome ultimately. Maybe, but it's tricky because part of what sort of sells it is the belief or at least sort of the plausible deniability of it possibly being real. I mean, there's kind of always been a sort of tongue-in-cheek element to it, you know, where it's like you're kind of buying in – you're buying into the sort of time travel egg, like, you know, I, I'd hope to believe at least the people, you know, recognize that there's a certain, you know – plausibility you know sort of lack of plausibility involved in, in that um, at least without like you know further proof um you know but i don't know <laughs> well he had said too, sure. he, he intended when 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 um it reached its conclusion he had intended to sort of have this big debrief 
uh, around it. And, and um, you know, the way he tells it is just that the experience became, you know, kind of dangerous and, and, and really yeah. negative. And so he had to end it really abruptly and sort of curtail um, yeah. all of his further plans with it. So I think that may have had something to do with it. But is there anything you want to comment on? In, yeah, in I mean, I think, I think that's true. And also, I think that's kind of part of why, because when I kind of came into working with him, at least I believe, was kind of right around when, or after, right after when he sort of made those decisions. So Ong's hat went, wound up not being sort of central in our work, because he was kind of trying a distance from it, you know, already at that point. He kind of wanted to archive it and move on, you know. Um, yeah. Did he go into detail about that with you or not really? Uh, not too much, no. That's, yeah, kind of part of it. it was kind of like, you know, yeah, okay, this thing happened. All right, let's move on. <laughs> you know, let's, let's get on with what we're doing now. Yeah. Um, you know. Why do you think the come back around again, the, the uh -huh. renewed interest in, in on tech? Because it's, it's not just me and John. I mean, having this motto article and then uh, the slate um, Dakota, Dakota Ring. Ring. Yeah. Well, yeah. I think a lot of it yeah, is kind, kind of, of we're kind of nipping around already that there's, you know, sort of people are sort of looking for an explanation now for, you know, why phenomenons like Infowars and whatnot are, you know, kind of becoming so mainstream. Um, and so people are kind of looking for antecedents and like, you know, sort of origins. Not, not to say that um, Ong's hat leads directly to Infowars, but just that, you know, sort of conspiracy theory milieu. milieu um, yeah. So I think I think a lot of it is is that it's just that people are, are kind of trying to figure out, um, you know, where where it started, <laughs> and um, for for better or worse, a lot of times we put a lot of emphasis on the sort of the first instances of things. Yeah, I mean, for 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 better or for worse, you know, obviously, like there are certain things that one could criticize about Ong's hat if they wanted to, but um, you know, I think I think it's now quite widely accepted as being kind of the first ARG, really? I mean... Yeah, or at least one of them, yeah. One Definitely. of them, among the first, yeah. yeah. Uh, do, you, do you think that, um, I guess, apart from, from Joe, uh, that, that Ong's hat will have any kind of legacy, or uh, w whether it be narratively or, or as, a, as a phenomenon? Yeah, I think, well, I mean... I I don't know if it's specifically Ankh's hat will, but I definitely think that, that interactive fiction has not seen the sort of you know, the, the full range of what's possible. It hasn't even, we haven't even touched on it. Um, I think that was one of Joe's biggest disappointments, honestly, at least from what he's expressed to me and, you know, my own as well. It's just the kind of um, the way that ARGs were sort of glommed onto by corporations is just another advertising strategy and then kind of discarded. And it's kind of, to a certain extent, fall into the wayside from what from what I gather, um, and it's unfortunate because interactive fiction, I really think, is I mean, it sounds cliche, but interactive fiction really is the future. Like, um, you know, it's not. I mean, of course, we watch TV, you know, watch things on screens and whatnot, but it's the way that we interact with stories and the way they live on in our heads afterwards that is what makes them so compelling. You know, it's not just the oh, like seeing seeing an image on the screen doesn't do anything for us. It's it's our own personal relationship with it that that makes it real. Yeah, sure. and 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 kind of like in corporate culture, it, it's it's just viewed as this disposable piece of sort of marketing and, and it's a mechanism, gimmick, yeah. and that's it. Yeah, it's not it's not regarded as anything with um, it's not regarded as an art form, which I guess is part of the problem with a lot of the way corporate culture views media in general or content. Yeah. 
you want to just call it yeah. content, right? So right, exactly. Yeah, the, the yeah. discrete nuggets of content. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, yeah, I'm trying to think what else. Curious. Mm -hmm. I uh, I'm curious. Have you seen any uh, like properties or projects that are out there in the world that you, you feel like Ong's hat has had a direct influence on? Hmm. Um, I mean, of course, there was that children's show um, that was like based loosely on it. Have like the egg and whatnot, the gladiator. Yeah, yeah. Um, um, but I, I don't know. Like, I'm trying to think about that. I don't, I don't I, if you're talking about like a direct, you know, based on Nong's hat, yeah, I don't think so. Um, I mean, of course, there's certainly um, no end of of you know narratives about you know quantum physics being used to time travel. The last one I saw was in, you know, Avengers Endgame, right? Um, <laughs> right, yeah. Um, yeah. I actually think it's kind of um, funny, the, the MCU, I mean, of course they, you know, are doing it in a sort of simplified way, but they've actually, you know, seem to have picked up on a lot of the sort of transmedia elements better than a lot of corporations. I mean, they're still using it in that sort of, you know, like we we're talking about, like advertising mechanisms sort of way, but... Um, you know, the, the way the MCU is the Marvel Cinematic Universe, for those who aren't familiar, um, you know, kind of creates this pantheon. It's like a mythological pantheon of characters. And then that's, that's the primary property is the myth that sells, you know, makes people want to buy a thousand copies of Thor, you know, <laughs> which as an artist, he does a lot of uh, cons. I definitely have experienced this where like, you know, I have no connection to Marvel and yet, um, I've been asked to draw Marvel characters and, and other, you know, characters that are owned by other companies, like a great deal more than any original character, to be sure. And that's, you know, it's because people have those personal relationships with those characters. And it's, you know, if we could all um, get people to invest in our um, sort of myths uh, to, to, to the extent that those companies do, then uh, there'd be a lot more interesting interactive art out there. But here we are. <laughs> Yeah, I wonder if this is just a, a phase, or if this is just a, a, a perpetual reality. In other words, that this is just always—I mean, that like original stories and whatnot are are are, are dead. John and I both come from like the the film world to extent, and it's just a bummer what's happened to original ideas um, in favor of sure. uh, previous stories. Yeah. I, I love MCU stuff. I'm a fan of it, but. Um, I, uh, they're always kind of like bees for me, you know, like they, they sort of like, they're, they're never great, but they're always good enough and I'll check out the next one. But, um, mm -hmm. but I think because there's, you know, there's like those, those films or properties or ideas that like we're A's, you know, we're sort of like cream of the crop. They just um, seem to, there's just uh, far less of them, I think, um, because of things like the MCU existing and it's just doing it's so well. It does suck the oxygen out of the room a little bit. That's that's for sure. Um, and I mean, I've also experienced. I mean, it's, it's just so much harder in general to have in, uh, sort of independent projects these days that, that get any any attention. Um, it's. It, I mean, not like it's ever been easy. But there was a period, I'd say, between like 2005 and like 2008, <laughs> so three years. Um, you know, where I, I kind of there was a where the internet was becoming more and more. Um, mainstream, and it was giving you know kind of people a platform who hadn't had it before. But then it, you know very quickly, corporations started to recognize that this was becoming a mainstream thing, and you know 
now we have what you know what we have where everything is kind of facebook is the internet twitter is the internet and like if you have run like a private website you know it's like you're watching your traffic figures going down and down unless if you pay those companies to send a little bit of their traffic your way <laughs> you know um so watching that firsthand has been it's been kind of nuts it, it's really hard to predict what's going to happen next though because things have changed so fast and then i think about like what you know one one like release from google the panda update in like 2010 or 11 whatever like you know that changed the whole industry seo changed as a result of it um and when corporations have the power to do that i mean it's just it's impossible to predict what's going to happen next <laughs> so it's both yeah it's an interesting time to be alive that's for sure yeah. Um, yeah. Do you have any follow-up questions, Todd, or do you want to? Uh, the only thing we need to ask you about is, um, I think that I that we're we've we've been asked by Joe to ask if you have heard of someone named Cameron. Yeah, but now I'm trying to remember where from. Yeah, that's weird. Um, did he did he give any con like any question why? Because I'm like. Um, I mean, before I know a couple of Camerons, but I also know, like, I remember him mentioning Cameron to me at one point, and I don't know where that, like, where that memory is coming from. What, why, what's the context? Well, he, he alleges that um, he was contacted by someone named Cameron who said that Ong's hat was actually his story and happened to him. And Joe has, has taken it, taken his story and, and co-opted it without, you know, without crediting him. Oh, that's right. Okay. Yeah, I do. I do kind of remember him. Yeah, I think I heard it from him. Um, yeah. So if, if I heard it from him, then that's, that's where I heard it. Right. Um, yeah. But it certainly doesn't surprise me. I mean, I've, I've gotten just um, the, I'm putting out a, a book on Bowie um, in January called masks. Um, and I've had, you know, I guess two people already on the, who, who've claimed that, who have never read the manuscript, mind you, who, who have emailed me to, to tell me that I, that I stole their material. And I'm like, what material? And they're like, oh, on my blog. And I was like, I, who, who are you? Why, why do you think that I took your material? So it's pretty common, apparently, these days for people to think that. <laughs> in, in, this, in this instance, Joe didn't go into any kind of detail. He just, he just mentioned it offhand or mm -hmm. got it. And and uh, yeah. he didn't tell you you you've, you haven't seen his website or anything. This Cameron character's website. No, no. Okay. Um, and I, I would assume then you also have no idea how we might be able to to speak to him. No, I could I could uh, poke around. <laughs> you find final we're certainly welcome to you know send us an email. Okay. <laughs> cool. That sounds good. Um, yeah, Todd. Anything that we missed that you can think of? Yeah, my, my final question is: Are you Cameron? <laughs> yes. <laughs> because <I'm just> <laughs> yeah. um, uh, it sounds like it. No, I'm kidding. Um, the uh, uh, no, I think we're good. I mean, from from from. I mean, just to, what happens from here is um, originally when we. Spoke with Joe. We were targeting um, like a, maybe ideally an October release. Um, mm -hmm. I would say at this point that's looking less and less likely, though not impossible. It just sort of depends on a number um, of, of factors um, and things sure. uh, shaping up pretty quickly here. 
Um, but uh, as John said, like this could like live in a variety of different form forms. Like it might be it's one single episode. It might be uh, an episodic. And so we're just trying to figure that out. But um, regardless, we'll keep you posted of how this goes. Okay. And, and um, you know, you won't be in the dark at all. And once we figure out what story we're telling and 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 how, um, we'll definitely be in touch. And you know, okay. definitely appreciate your time and. Thanks so much yeah, for talking. If you have any uh, any other questions for me, I'm sorry I didn't have too much more for you on Ang's hat, but I, like I think I figured that other people probably have more direct knowledge of it than than me. So. Oh no, it's great. Yeah, your input has been great. I mean, it's it's all stuff that I, I feel like we can use, and and um, uh, I I am curious about before uh, we say goodbye. Um, mm -hmm. Are there any recommendations of other folks? I mean, Joe's given us a list of people that we've. Uh, that we have talked to, and at this point, I think we've we've gone through that, that exhausted the entire list. Entire yeah. Right? Um, um, for and, and specifically, or ARGs in general? Well, maybe both. I, I'll I, I'll okay. tell you like a hole that we have that we're trying to look look that we're looking to fill is everyone we've talked to is a male, and I'm just wondering if there okay. is a you know kind of a, yeah. a woman. World that I can either speak to on Ted directly, or maybe some of these like larger ideas that that um, might be worth speaking to. Um, just because we, yeah, we don't want it to be like a male-dominated experience. No, here. I mean that's nice that's to... a good that's a good point. And actually, now that I think about it, I mean, of course, it could just be like basic sort of you know intrinsic you know sexist bias or whatever. But like um, a lot of conspiracy theory groups and and certainly a lot of things around you know sort of interests like this tend to be fairly male dominated, um, you know, to, to a large degree. And that's, it's unfortunate, but I think that might be kind of replicating that because I can't think of anyone off the top of my head. Um, that's a good point. <laughs> okay. okay. Well, I'll think about uh, it. Cool. cool. Uh, yeah. Well, thanks so much. Appreciate your time. Yeah, thank you for your time, yeah. James. It was awesome. Yeah, of course. With you. Yeah. It's good talking. Take care. And uh, take care. Yeah, we'll talk later. We'll keep you posted. Okay, yeah, I do. All righty. Okay. Bye. Bye.